It's not you, babe. It's me. Um, so, okay, so before I start, I figured I would share something that I've been um, kind of working through and questioning in myself and as we build a community and my vision for New Legacy Linden and I am in this place of wondering, are we, not wondering because I know we're, we're new and we're still learning what we're about, but the idea and the question is, are we missional or are we comfortable? Because comfort in church culture is the killer of innovation and creativity is that when you we are comfortable in everything that we're doing we no longer have a sense of grit and mission to go into the world and invite people into relationship and into living life with us and into relationship with jesus because we're comfortable here and so in all church planting books that i have read it it hits on every point like when you create a um like in a group of people to start a church the number one thing you have to be aware of is do not get comfortable do not become inward do not become insular because the moment that each of us begin to think well i don't want this to grow because if it grows it means people that i don't know will come and then only to have to build new relationships and that makes me uncomfortable the moment that happens we miss out on opportunities to go into the community and <clears throat> And tell people about Jesus. And so I think that kind of spread for me um, And when I was thinking about it when I read that article a couple weeks ago where it said that home church isn't a church because of X, Y, and Z. And I thought, these are all really valid points, right? Because what is the point of gathering if we're not preaching Jesus? What is the point of gathering if we're not making new disciples? What is the point of gathering if we're not baptizing new disciples? And what is the point of gathering if we're not continuing to be outward focused? And so this has kind of been my challenge and my heart for our church community is um, are we missional or are we comfortable? Because comfort will kill what we're trying to do. It's that we will lose grit, we will lose passion, we will lose drive to see people in our circle of influence come to know Jesus because we've become too comfortable. And so my heart is I am a creature of comfort. I love comfort. And so I am a big fan of oh, all the little kids are going. I was like, wait, no, they're going downstairs to play. They are. Okay. So my heart for our community is that we remain missional by um, knowing what we're about, knowing why we gather, and knowing that if we're not gathering for the purpose of um, worshiping Jesus and teaching people about Jesus and building each other up and inviting people into this space, then we're not gathering to grow. And if we're not gathering to grow, then there's no way we're going to go out into the world and tell people and invite people in. And so this has been something that I'm wrestling with inside. And I felt very convicted because I felt like um, as I was gone this weekend uh, telling people about what we're doing up here, I felt like the Lord told me two things. And it was you need to constantly be sharing vision, like reminding as we're growing why we're doing what we're doing is that the vision that God gave me as a lead pastor of this church is that we would see the multiplication of home churches, the multiplication of smaller, intimate gatherings of people coming to know Jesus and being discipled within that community. And the second thing is if you want anything to happen in home church, you need to pray. And I was so deeply convicted by that is that I can 
do all these things. I can go out and I can preach Jesus and I can go into the world and say all these things about what we're doing. But if I'm not praying, nothing is going to happen. If I'm not investing time and disciplining myself and my my body and my mind into a time of prayer and into the discipline of prayer, then what am I doing? And so I want to encourage you, if you are here and you're like, on, I believe in the mission and the vision of New Legacy Linden. This is what I do believe that God is doing when it comes to the realm of church planting. Then I just really want to encourage you to pray and to remain missional in the way that we all live our own lives in the places that we're going to live our life. And so like Chase, you being missional in your community, you will be reaching a demographic of people that I will never reach. But if you live a life that is speaking of Jesus and of honoring of Jesus, that is that is being missional. That is being intentional. And in all the different realms, Nico will be able to reach people that I can never reach. Tanner will be able to reach people that Nico can't reach. Lindsay can't reach. And it's like, the, oh, oh, sweetie, Cash, please do not do that. You're going to turn the table over, baby. Don't go under the table and get oranges, okay? Oh, that's and so that is just my heart for missional and com- uh, just are we missional or are we comfortable? And so it felt really perfect that the conviction of for me to pray um, aligned with what we're studying this week. And so we're going to be actually learning from Matthew 7 verses uh, 7 through 11. And so if you can pull out your Bible or pull up your digital bulletin, no big deal. You can do that too. And there's a ton of Bibles down there. And then we'll just uh, go, like, honestly, guys, my favorite part is when we read the scripture aloud, because I just love hearing the word of God from different people's mouths. So why don't we start, Tristan, why don't you read a verse, and then we'll just go counterclockwise. Keeping you guys on your toes. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? And this entire, this, thank you, Nico, um, and everybody who read, the entire time I was um, thinking about prayer and thinking about what this scripture meant, I, in my mind, was thinking, oh, um, oh, it didn't change. It stuck. It's okay. We'll keep moving on. I'll talk to support about it. <laughs> um, but the... This scripture is like it's usually connotated with this idea of prayer. And while there's a part of that, I think it also highlights on the generosity of God is that the action, the idea is that um, this idea of persistent prayer. And then because I'm a mom, I often wonder if I'm screwing up my children. That's just a way that I live. It's like I wonder how bad I'm screwing these kids up. But a part of me is like this idea of persistent prayer, which is a part of um, this scripture, is to pray is to ask of God, the more childlike, 
the asking the better. It's to address him directly. And I think how often if our children, like if you've been around a child for like 10 seconds, you know, they're like, can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? And you're like, no, but they're like, but can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? And you're like, no, stop asking. And they're like, but can I have it? Can I have it? Like if, if a child wants something, a child will keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep doing anything they can to have it. And there's a part of me that wonders how I, I, how I could possibly kill that in my child because I'm like, stop asking. But it's the very action of asking and learning how to ask is what I want to raise up in my daughters is I want them to enter into prayer thinking, I want that. I'm going to keep asking for it. I'm going to ask God directly and I'm going to ask like a child. And this is something that, um, is like, you know, when somebody gives you like a, like a compliment, but you're like not a hundred percent sure if that's a compliment, but that's really an insecurity that you probably have within yourself. Anybody else? No. Cool. Okay. When somebody tells me they're like, you pray really well, there's a part of me that's like, is that an insult? Because, like, we know this, uh, I know the scripture where it's like, don't pray like the religious people out there with their eloquent words, praying all these things. Pray like the person quietly praying in the corner. So when somebody's like, you're really good at prayer, I'm just like, ooh, am I the religious person on the corner praying these eloquent words? And this is a conversation that Riley and I actually have a lot. And it usually follows up with a conversation where I'm like, I wonder, like, babe, you put up with so much. But it's like, all there are times where I'll ask Riley, I'm like, do, do people know I love Jesus by the way I love them? Do I love Jesus? I have these very big moments in my life. But like when, like Riley and I are completely different. And so when I share this, I'm like, when somebody says you're really good at prayer, I immediately think like the worst. Like, are they telling me I'm a religious person? Because to pray, to ask God directly, it's like that childlike of just knowing that your, that your parent can do it. Like if you think like... Who is here has ever had a child ask them something absolutely ridiculous, like above human capability? Jenna, what's an example of your kids asking you to do something that's above human capability? Oh, probably a million things. Um, Winry constantly thinks that I should be able to find a spaceship to go in, obviously, like to the moon. Why wouldn't I? Or trains. Anytime you're in the train, mom, we should be able to catch the train so that I can go ride the train. Why aren't you doing this for me? <laughs> all the time all the time all the time anybody else like this is ex- an example like Tristan you have one you have a little brother and sister oh, just uh, today oh okay <laughs> we were watching videos of cats sticking their heads and things it's a good video and, uh, <laughs> there was one cat where a dog fell off a trampoline and they're like why are dogs on trampolines I'm like I can't explain <laughs> They just do that. They just do that. But they're like, you surely know. Right. And this is the thing is that when it's like, when our girls ask something that's like beyond the realm of possible, almost ridiculous, I'm thinking like, what are you? And then I realized to them, we're literally capable of doing everything because we do so much. And so there isn't this limit of what like mom, dad, friend, like aunts, uncles can do because we do so much. And I think what happens in a person's life where we stop thinking about God the same way? What happens in life, in my life, 
where I don't ask and approach God in prayer with the same faith of a child that my children come to me with, which is like, why wouldn't we be able to like buy everything? I'm like, well, (laughs) monies. Or why couldn't you lift up the car and get that for me? It's like a lot of reasons. (laughs) Step one, I don't work out. I can't lift it up. (laughs) But like this idea of like there is no realm of impossible, especially as children are super, super young. But as they grow up, they begin to know limits. They begin to learn the things to ask and the things not to ask. And ideally, as they grow and as they mature, those limits are really it helps them better understand in their conversation, in their prayer, in their direct asking of God. But there's just a part of me where I'm like, when I kept studying about prayer, it just kept saying the importance of praying like a child, asking like a child. And that really challenged me because I just think like a child, they're persistent. <clears throat> Children, if they want something, you can be around a kid for like five minutes. And you're like, oh my gosh, why do you want to run out into the street all the time? And they're like, I just want to run out to the street. You're like, don't do it. And they're like, but I'm going to do it. Children are persistent in what they want. Prayer is persistent because we know that what we, like, we will constantly ask. We will constantly seek. (coughs) And we will constantly knock. That there is nothing. Like, if you think about it, a beggar will persistently ask for food, for money, because they know that, a, that their existence depends on the fact that they keep asking. Somebody who is out in the cold will constantly knock because they know they need to get on the inside. Somebody who has lost something will constantly seek because they want to find it. They'll persistently find it. Have you guys ever lost something that's of great value to you? Because generally it's small and just... Um, the first pair of earrings, pair of jewelry that Riley ever got me was real pearl earrings. And he gave it to me right before we went into a work party. And, like, he pulled out the box. And I go, oh, my gosh, are you proposing right now? And he goes, why would I propose to you in a car outside of a restaurant? (laughs) But, like, anything is possible. (laughs) And so he was, like, he opened it up. And it was these beautiful pearl earrings. And I lost them, like, a week later. And I've yet to find them. And so we don't buy me nice jewelry because I'll lose it. But I just remember searching for it. And I was like, why can't I find it? And to this day, I'm still like, why can't I find this? This is nine years later where I'm like, where could it have possibly been? We moved a couple times. So there's probably very little chances it's like here with me. But like, I just keep seeking for it because I'm like, this is valuable to me. Like, I want it. And if I can do that for a pair of earrings, why wouldn't I do it for healing in people's lives and in my own life if i could do it for a pair of pearl earrings if i can keep asking and being persistent and seeking and asking and knocking for something like earrings why wouldn't i do it in persistently praying consistently praying for people to to know jesus why wouldn't i do it for my city why wouldn't i do it in the realm of everything that is so much more important than pearl earrings sorry babe But, like, we got kingdom vision, you know what I mean? And so I just started wrestling with that. And this is my question. My first question for us is that what stops us from praying persistently and consistently? I'll go first. I 
don't like to ask things well actually probably before Christ but like I was always told that my needs were too much and so that that created something inside of me where I felt like any time I asked something, it was just too much. And so, like, even something that Riley and I are still working on right now is sometimes I'll ask, I'll be like, babe, can you do me a really big favor? And he's like, yeah, what is it? He's like, I was like, can you give me a cup of water? And he's like, that's not a big favor. And he had to consistently, he had to start saying, don't start with that. Like, don't ask for a really, you can just ask me for something. But in my childhood, I always was told that anytime I asked something I owed something so that's why I don't I I know that I can struggle with having some big prayer requests and why I would struggle with praying consistently anybody else wants to share what stops them from praying persistently and consistently also laziness for me (laughs) laziness (laughs) I'm not sure for not I'm sure not for anybody else here but definitely for me. Please. You didn't put second. What was that? You didn't put second. Hmm. Can you explain more about that, Chase? Uh, kind of like with you talking and stuff. Yeah. Growing up, I was always put second with my sister. Mm-hmm. So it was always, I'd ask, my sister would get it, and I wouldn't, mm-hmm. and she didn't even need it. Mm-hmm. So wrestling with that hurts, and it's hard to pray about. And yeah. Get used to it again. Yeah. That's good. Tanner, what about you? I think just seeing times where things have been prayed for and then nothing ever happens. Mm-hmm. I remember the... Okay, so I got saved radically at like 19 years old. And when somebody told me about the idea of like ask, you know, and you like ask, seek, and knock. And I was like, so you're telling me, God like what he'll answer prayers and I'm like blown away and that was when like I don't know if you picked this up by now I'm a really intense person and like I, I like took that to the limits like I had I started building like I had this great faith where I would just ask and seek and knock and it was it was just that growing zealous faith and I remember when our um the senior pastor of our church was diagnosed with cancer as we fasted and we prayed and I remember the day when we found out that he died and it was it was the first time in my faith and I was probably like 21 22 when he died I got saved and like really began following Jesus at 19 21 22 he died I just remember hearing that news and for the first time in my mind I was able to conceptualize that God doesn't answer all the prayers that we pray and there are miracles that we won't see on this side of heaven period and I don't understand it I do not know why amazing friends I like who I love and know are great people why I don't know why we would constantly pray for them to have a baby a biological baby but they just cannot conceive and then you have people having babies and giving birth in bathrooms and throwing their babies in trash cans like I do not know I do not know why people have cancer and people who love Jesus and have cancer and do not get healed and they die 
Like, and that's the hardest thing about prayer. And I think that is probably one of the biggest reasons I have ever heard why people are saying, I don't want to follow your God. Because if your God is so good, why did this person have to die? Why did this person have to go through something? If your God was so good, why is human trafficking the number one black market growing crime globally? If your God is good, why do we pray for these things and we don't see it happen? And there's this sense and this tension. And I have just, and the answer is like, I don't know. But what I've seen in my years of following Jesus is that I have come to realize I will never know, but that will never stop me from praying. Because what I've learned about prayer is that prayer helps me gauge where my faith is at. If I pray for something really big, if I pray for what I like to call a BHAG, which is a big, hairy, audacious goal, if I pray for a BHAG and it doesn't come to pass, if I have a big, well, not really a BHAG, it'd be like a BHAP. Big, hairy, audacious prayer. That sounds better. But if I prayed for something and it didn't come to pass, if I am discouraged and doubt the very existence of God because what I asked wasn't answered, then that probably lets me know my faith was not that well-rooted. But if I pray a big a behalf and God answers, then my faith is encouraged. My The gauge and my faith and my experience and my understanding and my experience in prayer changes. But prayer will always be a gauge of where we have our faith, who we have our faith in, and the discipline, if we have it, to pray consistently and persistently. But I'll be honest, there there are so many things that I have prayed that God has not answered. And there have been so many times in my relationship with the Lord where I cried out because I didn't understand why. And one of them was, I was the first one in my family to become a Christian. And my oldest sister was pregnant and um, essentially in the uh, in her pregnancy, they told her that her daughter will not survive outside of the womb. They're not believers, but they knew I was. So they said, would you pray? Would you pray? And I believed for a miracle. I believed that my niece, Emma, would make I believed And I had people praying, and we were praying, because how crazy miracle would it be if my sister, who didn't love Jesus and know Jesus, experienced this miracle of having doctors show her tests that, like, your baby will die outside the womb. Your baby will not survive. And then God does a miracle, and the baby survives. Like, how bananas would that be? So we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And I remember the day that she called me to the hospital because she was delivering Emma. I remember the day when we drove up and I still was like, God, you can make make a miracle. I know you can make a miracle. I know it. Like you are God of the universe. You answer prayers. I know this. And I walk in. My sister delivers her baby. And her sweet baby girl was born and passed away. And I held my niece in my arms and I wept because I did not know why this God that we serve answers some prayers and he doesn't answer others. And that's like to people who don't, who don't share in the faith, don't share this faith. If they don't understand it, they should know that we don't understand it either. 
that we don't understand why God allows certain things to happen and we probably won't understand on this side of heaven. So I have experiences. I know I'm sure every single one of us sitting around here can think, oh, I remember of a time that I prayed and God didn't answer and this was what happened. And then I rem- and I can think of prayers that I prayed where I can sit here and be like, thank God that didn't happen. Because in that moment, I thought that was like the best freaking prayer in the world. And then now I think, oh gosh, that would have been like the absolute worst thing in the world if that happened. And I found this really good quote. It says, often our prayers are not answered as originally desired because we do not share God's perspective in knowing what is ultimately a good gift to us. Is that people say that God answers the prayers of the righteous. It's that it depends on the prayers that you have prayed. It depends on how you pray. It depends on how you ask. Because as I wrestle with this idea, it's like, am I killing my children's drive for initiative and persistency? Because I'm constantly like, oh, look, just let me do it. Or like, stop asking for like the six millionth time about a piece of candy. Like, just stop asking. But I realize my job as a parent is to help my children learn to be able to decide what is good, what isn't, when to when to ask, when to not ask, to have timing, to have good timing and good perspective. Because there are so many things that I want to be able to give my children, but I don't because I know ultimately it will not be good for them. So think about all the times, maybe in the past or even right now, that you might be praying for something. If God doesn't answer it right now, you can either continue to have disbelief and like well God must not exist because he didn't answer this prayer or trust that maybe God didn't answer the prayer because it's ultimately not good for you and that's a big trust that's a big trust to trust if this God that you don't know answers prayer is like is it a good thing that he didn't answer that prayer I can think about as a young adult woman how I would pray to marry all these people like not at once but like at least one of them (laughs) and I thank God. Like, if I read through my old journals in college, and like, God, I really hope I marry him. Thank God that didn't work out, babe, because you're the best husband ever. <laughs> but if I think, like, if God answered all those prayers, oh, my chicken, like, that would be the worst life ever. <laughs> so ultimately, God knew what was that gift for me. My prayer was marriage that I would... I would I would love to be married. And I thought I was marrying this person, or I really wanted to marry this person. God honored the, the prayer of marriage, but honored it with the ultimate good gift of knowing exactly who I needed to marry. And so our prayers, like this quote says, often our prayers are not answered as originally desired because we do not share in God's perspective of knowing what is ultimately a good gift for us. So how do we know what are good gifts for us? question time how would somebody even know what that is things that are in alignment with the bible mic drop got it (laughs) things that are in alignment with the character of god that we read in the bible and we experience in our personal relationship tristan is something you have an answer face, but that, I, I it could do, be wrong. Oh, can you ask a question? One more? Yes. Uh, what? How do we know what is a good gift for us? When it comes at the right place and time, when it's like not convenient for you, but it's 
it works out for you and it's a lot better in that situation. Mm, that's good. Anybody else? Yeah, I guess for me, like, one thing, like, that question is, what is a good gift? And I think, like, the, the, the answer is found often, you know, down the line. It's not something you usually, like, are like, boom, this is it, perfect. Because sometimes you think that, and then it takes a left turn, then to end up at a different spot altogether than you even thought. So, sometimes you can think it's one thing, it changes, you're like, why did you curse me? And then it's like, oh, there's an ultimate goal or something completely different that I was too even short sighted to see. Yeah, that's good. Because it wasn't God's plan. Yeah. Like I think about, well, probably one of my favorite examples is when after I became a Christian, I only dated two people, married one of them. But the guy that I dated before Riley, I was absolutely, like, absolutely convinced I was going to marry him. We had a wedding date plan set out. We, like, were thinking where we were going to live, like, everything. And then he broke up with me. Well, he wanted to go on a break, and I looked at him, and I was like, break is the first word to break up. So I think this is us breaking up. I was really intense then, too. And <laughs> I remember the Lord, and I grieved that dream. I was brokenhearted that I wasn't going to marry this guy that I was 100% convinced I was going to marry. And I grieved it. And But that, that event, and I was so angry because I was like, God, why didn't you answer this prayer? But that event actually launched me into one of the deepest spiritual seasons I ever entered that built foundations that have led me to be what I am today. But then, and that right there, my aunt, in my head, I thought the good gift would be to marry that guy. The good gift was what happened after that guy broke up with me. And then when I started dating Riley, I knew him for years before, but when we started dating, I realized that everything that I, like there were things that I learned in my relationship with the previous person that makes me a better wife to Riley. Because I learned more about who I was I learned more about the stuff that I had zero tolerance for, but I learned so much. And so in my mind, at, was that guy was the good gift, and God was like, no, I have a better gift for you. I have someone even more perfect fit for you, but I will take you through this season of hardship so that you can appreciate the good gift that I'm going to have. Babe, I, I just realized, wow, I really like you. <laughs> just now? Just now. Like this whole time. But I think about that. <laughs> is what I thought was the good gift was a really lame gift, but I didn't have the maturity and the perspective to see it. And the best way I can explain it is that if we all move my furniture and I all had you all step up to this wall and put your nose to the wall, I would ask you in your, in your vision, what can you see? If your nose is up to this wall, you would just see the blue which originally, by the way, I thought was a gray until Riley started painting, and I was like, oh, that's blue. <laughs> <That's catch. laughs> and he goes, too bad. It's already on there. <laughs> but if your nose was touching the wall, you would only see the blue. You would only see what is immediately right in front of you. And that would be your perspective. But then if you took a step back, you would be able to see more. And then if you took another step back, you would able, be able to see more. And that is faith—that is spiritual faith perspective, is that sometimes our nose is up to the wall. And we only see what is right in front of us, and we only want what is right in front of us. But faith is taking that step back to see a little bit more. 
And every step of faith that you take to see a little bit more is allowing you to see more of that greater kingdom perspective. But every step you take away from the wall is an act of faith. But with every step you see more. And that's the thing is that a lot of people we're praying with our nose to the wall. Praying for only what we see right in front of us. Only demanding that God gives us what's in right front of us. Like as if God was one big cosmic candy machine. That if we put in our prayers, our like 25 cents of prayer, then he'll answer us. And that's just, that is so insulting to the creator of the universe. Like as a mother, it's insulting to me when my children treat me like a, like a cosmic candy machine. Like if I tell you I love you, you're going to give me things, right? <laughs> because they do that. And I'm just like, no, like that's just not who God is. But the more we step away from what we think is that good gift for right now, the more we're allowed to see a more kingdom perspective of that good gift. And I love the example here. This is where I realized the scripture is not just about prayer. The scripture is about generosity, God's generosity. And again, I always like sometimes that word feels really cringy because of the way the modern day church has abused the term generosity because it's generally always linked with money and it's always asking for more. And I got saved in a, um, a prosperity gospel church where like all the, like the pastors drove really nice cars. My favorite was seeing a BMW with a license plate that says blessed. And I was like, Oh gosh. Um, but I remember like it was just, you were blessed if you had a lot of things. And that was what they talked about, generosity. And so I feel cringy when I say generosity. But this scripture is about God's true generosity as a father, as God the father. Because the scripture here in verse 9 is like, You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, can do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people, which in some translation, sinful, it actually says evil, and it's the same word when it's referenced to the evil one, which is the devil. So, like, just know, like, the strength of this word is, so if you, a sinful, evil people, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who seek him? And that made me realize that there are times where I want to give my kids blessings because the timing is right and I want to bless them. And there are times when I withhold because I see the greater picture. And because of their age, they do not see the greater picture. Usually the greater picture is, I don't want you to be a spoiled brat that nobody likes, including myself. I want you to learn to function in a society where you recognize that the world does not revolve around you. And I think there are so many times in my everyday life where my kids will ask for something and I'll say no. Usually it's like, can I eat ice cream at like 7 in the morning? No. Or, because like, that's just not good for you. But they're like, I just want it now. And I, and I don't want this to be insulting to us sitting around here as adults. But sometimes we act like spiritual toddlers. I want it now. I don't care why you won't give it to me now. I want it now. And God's like, hold my cup, take a chill pill. Like, calm down. There's a reason I'm not giving to it now. And then there are moments where I do get to bless my children. Like one of my favorite things when I go on trips is to get gifts for my children because I want them to think, this is where I thought of you. This is where I thought of you. Because I want them to know in that greater perspective that even though I'm going out to go and travel to preach and tell people about Jesus, I'm always coming home. 
So there are always going to be moments where we withhold because we see the bigger picture and we bless because we see the bigger picture. And so this idea of in the scripture is like, if you as evil people know when to give good gifts, how much more would God give as the earthly father? And I just thought to myself in the scripture, like, God is so generous. And I am so grateful because there are seasons, if I look back, if if every single prayer that I prayed and I thought was a good gift then, and God didn't give it to me, if that was a point where I walked away from the Lord, I would not be married to Riley. I would not have those tiny typhoons, and I would not be here. So for every prayer that we demand and we ask and we seek and we knock and God doesn't answer, can I say it's not because God doesn't love us? Perhaps it's because he loves us so much that he's like, I will withhold. I will withhold it. I will hold the good gift. I will risk you walking away because I love you so much that I, that I, I won't answer every sometimes stupid thing that comes out of your mouth. Sometimes the prayers that you pray in anger, that you wish I would smite somebody or make them understand and that they would get justice and judgment. For every time we prayed that somebody would get their share of cursing, somebody would get their share of evil, that they would get judgment. Imagine every angry thing that we prayed in our quiet time, in our hearts. If God answered those prayers... But he doesn't because he loves us and he sees the bigger picture. And that's why, like, I was just sitting here and I was thinking, like, for the parents in this circle, it's really easy for us to understand the idea of, you know, parents. If your child asks you for something, like, if your child asks you for bread, why would you give them a stone? If they ask for a fish, why would you give them, uh, what was the fish one? A snake. A snake. Ew, gross. Um... We understand that. But why I think it's so important that we have inner multi-generational discipleship and culture is because for the people around this circle who don't have kids, the value of being in relationship with people in different seasons of life is the exchange of wisdom and the exchange of life to be like, I don't have to have my own kids to see people that I love and respect say no to their children and see why that's important or say yes to their children and know why that's important is that the value and the exchange of experience and story when we build a multi-generational discipleship culture is that some people are on this circle you might not ever have kids and some people you might have more or many but the idea is that we're in relationship with each other so that for somebody who is not yet a parent you're like I don't know what this means because I'm not a parent yet you know parents and you're able to say Tell me how this works with your kid. Tell me how you handle the constant asking for things. Tell me how this works. And so my heart for us, and I was praying about this, is like, I started thinking, like, how do we see Jesus in this? How do we see Jesus in this scripture? And um, I want all of us to marinate on it, and I'm going to share what how I see Jesus in this is that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was going to be crucified, he cried out to God the Father. And he said, Father, like if this cup 
should pass by me, which is like, um, like Bible words for like, if this could be a hard pass, like if I don't have to be brutally beaten up, carry the cross. Isaiah said his body was broken beyond recognition that they could not tell if it was human or animal. Essentially, Jesus in the garden before all this happened says, if this doesn't have to happen, that would be cool. And he goes back, but then he says, but not my, not my will, but your will be done. Is that if Jesus prays, if he didn't have to go through something, and God still allowed him to go through it and bear it because God saw the greater picture, he made his own son do that. He sent his own son to be born in essentially a cave, lived a pretty anonymous life for about 30 years, get baptized around 30-ish, enter into full-time ministry about four or five years, and they get brutally murdered, hung on a cross next to thieves because God sees the eternal picture. I think that should give us some perspective on the things that we pray, that sometimes God will answer and sometimes he won't. And Jesus understood that because even as he wrestled with what was to come, he still resolved on the goodness of God and the trusting of God and the generosity of God. And that is what I want to see in us and as your pastor, somebody who loves you, what happens when God's people are unafraid and unashamed to pray for miracles persistently and consistently? What happens when God's people, when we go into the community and we see somebody who's, who's hurt and we're unafraid, unafraid to like pray for them? Have you ever, um, have you ever prayed for somebody in public for a healing and they like they didn't get healed? Or, like, you feel like, oh, I should probably pray for that person, and you get, like, really scared. Anybody? Oh, yeah. And um, one time we were were in Everett. Um, I was at a pastor. um, I was pastoring at a church in Everett, and we were doing, like, a community service thing where we were out in public. We were filling up the flower pots or something. And Kyrie, who is, like, she has greater faith in me to pray for, like, miracles. Kyrie sees somebody get out of their car in crutches and he's like hobbling to the side of the like to the sidewalk and she stopped and she goes we should pray for him and I'm like oh like he's probably busy but I said okay so I was like if you want to pray for him you need to go up to him and you need to ask him if you can lay hands on him and pray for him and she goes okay so she goes up to this old dude in crutches. He looks clearly un- like he was like hobbling out of his car. And she, in her little voice, she just said, can I pray for you? And he goes, yeah. And so I had this image like burned in my mind. So you have Kyrie and Kenzie. They were probably two and a half and three and a half at the time. They And this dude is like just this bigger adult. And they touch with their little baby hands, they put their hands on his leg and they just started praying for him. I don't know if his leg was healed, but in that moment, I just realized, holy crap, my children have greater faith than I do. They have greater boldness to go up to a stranger and risk rejection and risk looking foolish, but they had no concept of that. They just knew and they know God heals. So if God heals and that person is injured, then that means I can ask for God to heal them. There's no concept of shame, of fear, 
boundaries. It is my God is creator of the universe. He heals. He provides. He is good. He is just. So if that is who they know God to be, there is no limit for prayer. And I think, oh my gosh, I theologically in my head believe all these things too. But I struggle to pray through so many things because I have put limits because I have lost childlike faith. That's an honest look into like even as myself, somebody who's like, oh yeah, I'm a pastor sitting in front of you. Be like, I have limits and I am learning how to pray for bigger and bolder things. I used to be one who would pray for behaps and behags all the time. But something happened in my faith where I stopped. And that is what God is convicting me of. Is if you want to see change, you pray. If you want to see a community following me, you pray. It is not programs, strategies, really cool signage, Facebook pages, websites, aesthetically pleasing Instagrams. It is none of that will cause growth in the church. Prayer itself will bring growth to the church. People who are praying will bring growth. People who are praying will see miracles. People who are praying will see God move in ways where people who don't pray will never see it. So if we want to see those things, then we commit to those things. And this is my confession to you that I have been lazy. I have been too comfortable. I have been stagnant. So if I as a pastor of this church am feeling that way, I'm setting the tone for how other people can be that way too. Stagnant lacking discipline too comfortable and so i bear upon myself taking responsibility like i need to get some stuff in check i need to reprioritize some things in my life so that i could be a person of prayer that i could be a person that prays consistently and persistently that i could be a person that knows that if i'm a good mother to my child that if they ask for bread i would give them bread if they ask for fish i would give them fish Duh, that makes sense. So wouldn't God give me those things too? And so that is this this message has been ultimately so convicting to me because I just know as I do this and even as I travel more and tell people about our church, people want to hear strategy and they want to hear programs and they want to see methodology and I want to be able to say, uh, number one thing I do is I pray. It is not branding. It is not a Facebook page. It's not all these things. It's just we pray. And my favorite time in our church is when we pray. And so as we end this, uh, we're going to do something um, that I started doing um, with the area leaders for the Assemblies of God in this area where at every meeting we would fill out these cards that you see on the table and we would commit to praying for the card that we get for the month. And so why their phone number is on there is so that you can text them every time you think about them. Be like, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm believing this for you. And um, so I always filled mine out and I always left it in the car because I'm constantly in the car. But seeing in my cup holder reminds me to pray for that person and connect with that person. And so we're going to be doing that um, before we get to that, I want to ask you, what is your takeaway? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Tanner, why don't you go first? Uh, <coughs> I guess the big one is that what we think is good is what 
that's always good for us. I think just that whole what you're saying that if God answered every prayer we had that things would be haywire and wouldn't be go the way that he wants it to go, the way he needs it to go. That's good. Um I think my big takeaway is things come in God's time. Mm-hmm. You can want things right away, and it's really, you don't need that right away. Yeah, that's good. Kind of what Will Jim said, um, waiting, praying, on. Mine's the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, there's so many things that stand in front of us that <coughs> take God out of our vision and stepping back from those things mm-hmm. can help us to see God and just put our faithfulness and our trust in Him yeah, overall. Cool. My takeaway is challenge for my own prayer life, but also like gratitude that God is so generous. Like, and he's so good to answer prayers and not answer prayers. Um, I have two. And the first one is to not just, like, if a prayer isn't answered, not just to think about, like, oh, like, it wasn't the right time, but, like, to have, like, renewed hope and faith (coughs) in, like, how that will play out in the future, like, how I can see why that prayer wasn't answered at that time. Like, to remember that it's not part of the bigger picture. And then, um, I totally forgot something. That's okay. (laughs) My takeaway is kind of like the bigger picture thing. Mm -hmm. I need to be reminded that there's probably a bigger picture than like what's immediately in front of me, like all the time. So I experience that all the time, especially like, people that have that are just happier and healthier people 
and how even though these two scientists are like, we don't believe like in an ultimate God, they still believe in the practice of meditation and like mindfulness and whatever they want to believe because they can prove that having like faith and religion is beneficial to you. Yeah. Um, and it talked a lot about um, prayer and people who have the discipline of it and believe in it and how good and positive that is for their life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think we get caught up in like, do I pray? Do I not pray? He's not going to give it to me. It's not going to be the way I think it's going to be. And forget that a lot of it is just the discipline and the benefit that we get from being in connection with God. Yeah. Um, more so than getting the answer to prayer that we think we want. Yeah. And I forget that, like, I'll forget that in like two hours after by myself. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway is. When it comes to my faith, I like to have a very simple faith. I like to have an understanding of who Jesus is, who he is in my life, and all that stuff. But oftentimes, I just accept the rest of it as, like, I don't need to know. I have no need to know. Knowing why God answers some questions that doesn't answer others, knowing that doesn't benefit me. Knowing that doesn't make me any stronger, doesn't make me any... Um, knowing it or not knowing it doesn't change I'm sure knowing it would change right a lot but like knowing that I won't ever know is something that like I, is is something that I find relief in mm-hmm. whereas for some people I know that that causes you know them to question their faith or feel like if I can't know these things like I should know these things like why does bad things happen to good people mm-hmm. and for me, I think that sometimes I just need to examine that because, like, there's a point where that's good, and there's also a point where, like, examining your faith and knowing why you believe what you believe is very important, and there's mm-hmm. value in that as well, so. That's good. I like that, too. So sometimes I realize I don't pray because I'm like, God's going to do what he's going to do. <laughs> I yeah. don't need to know, so I don't pray. Yeah. Well, in my, what I was studying is that, um, when I was reading on the scripture and prayer is the danger of that mentality that God will do what he does so that there's no need for my contribution into this experience. And that was something that took, like, I, I it made me, like, kind of step back and realize, like, what a beautiful gift prayer is. Because before, like, uh, for people to pray and come into the presence of God was a ton of ritual. Slaughtering some animals, sprinkling their blood. If you were to enter into the presence of God, uh, it was one person, one priest selected from a certain tribe, and he would have to go through all these different rituals, including ritual bathing. They, like some, they, they would have to watch you to make sure you did it right. They would have to clothe you to make sure you did it right. And then they t- uh, some people said, and this is still debated, but like they would tie a rope around your ankle and it would be connected to a bell because if you go into the presence of God, you went through all these rituals to be in God's presence. If you did it wrong, you would be struck dead. So they would hear the jingling of the bell, like ding, 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 ding. and then when it stopped, it was assumed that you did something wrong and therefore you were struck dead. And so the action of being in prayer is a discipline of entering into the presence of God. It's to be able to focus 
and to speak directly with God and what a treasured gift that is. Even if it is not, it is, well, God is going to do what he does, so there is no need for my, my involvement in it. It is a perspective that this is a gift to be able to speak. And there are faiths and religions where you don't speak to God. You have to go through another person and then they do it for you because you you clearly can't have the capability to do it on your own. And so, um, yeah, I hope that this was as challenging to you as it was to me and it was very challenging. Um, we're going to do communion at the end with everybody once we... Um, once we like do our dessert but one of the things that um you know we talked about the prayer exercise is um 